Okay, so today we're uh, doing Torah and Tea, and we're doing the portion of Bahar Bechukhoisei, that's this week. It's a double portion, and we're actually finishing up the entire book of Vayikra, the book of Vayikra. And as we usually do, uh, we try to review the Parsha and the special two Revi's talks that they are learning. A lot of people are learning it. Right now we're doing volume 17. So we'll do one part for the portion of Bihar. That's the first portion. And the second part we'll do for the portion of Bichukhoisai. Bichukhoisai is the last and final Parsha, Sedra of the Torah. And we will actually say chazak, chazak v'mischazik. We will strengthen ourselves because we did it again. We were able to finish a whole book, just like every time we finish a book, we uh, gain strength and we therefore uh, say chazak, chazak, and let us be strong. Chazak, chazak v'mischazik. Right. So, the first thing is we'll do, we'll start a little bit with the Parsha. But before I start, I do want to mention the unfortunate tragedy that took place in Miron. Uh, it's something beyond comprehension. And it's something which pains every single person who has a little bit of a feeling. I hear people, innocent children, coming to celebrate and to find their death in such a tragic way. It's, uh, it's very sad. But, you know, instead of looking uh, for explanations and instead of uh, trying to make sense of it, our resolve, our emuna, our belief in Hashem is as strong as ever. So what do we do? So the only thing really to do is to increase, that we can do, is to increase and do more, more, bring more light to the world. And I've said many times about, after the Holocaust, there was a movement to have people place an empty chair next to the Seder table to represent the child that can't make it to the Seder because they were murdered by the Nazis and their collaborators, Yimach Shimon. And everybody was very strong for that idea because they felt that that was a way to sort of remember and bring them back by keeping this empty chair. And they asked the Rebbe at the time that the Rebbe should promote and give this idea the attention to make this really popular amongst his Hasidim and other peoples. They knew the reach of the Rebbe. And the Rebbe says that he has a better idea. The Rebbe's idea was, instead of keeping an empty chair, why don't we fill that chair with an extra child? 
find a child who would not be at the Seder table and make sure that that child will participate and take the place of, unfortunately, of those holy souls that we lost, those children that are no longer with us. And I think that when we look at the tragedy, people say how terrible it is and, and people are trying to find blame, et cetera, et cetera, as the usual way. But I think the Revitson has been struggling. She says, we got to do something about it. We can't just, can't just uh, bemoan and say how terrible it is, but we got to, we got to bring some more light. We got to bring some more, some more goodness into the world. So the Rebbitson is starting a campaign that we want to put up 45 mezuzahs, each mezuzah for one of the people who perished. We want to put up 45 mezuzahs in homes that either don't have a mezuzah yet or homes that want to change and upgrade to a better mezuzah. And the campaign is to basically find people who would be willing to put up a mezuzah in their house in memory of these holy people, or even to exchange, upgrade their mezuzah, they have a small mezuzah. And also to get people, on the other hand, to sponsor these mezuzahs. A mezuzah costs about between 50 and $75. We're talking about the kosher mezuzahs and to have people sponsor them so that both will have the mitzvah, the people that don't have a mezuzah, maybe for reasons that they can't afford it or it's not important enough to them to spend the money so we can just give them as a gift. But it'll also make the others who participate and who sponsor a mezuzah, it'll make them a party to this beautiful mitzvah. So we have a goal uh, I should say the, Rev the Revitson's goal is to get 45 new mezuzahs in the near future uh, in our community, in the Sharon community, put up in people's homes, and also to get 45 sponsors to sponsor these mezuzahs. So I just wanted to mention that because I felt that this is really important if we're trying to remember and not just to say, you know, this is terrible, but to do something practical, to bring some light, I think that would be a great idea. <clears throat> Talking about this uh, misfortune, there was another story, unfortunately. Um, we know, some of you may know, there used to be a family that lived in Sharon, the Raiders. The oh, yeah. Raiders lived in Sharon. So the, the Raiders were fortunate enough to make a wedding. This Lag Bomer, their uh, youngest child, their daughter. Hannah. Hannah, right. Yeah. So Hannah, she got married, this like Bomer. And a, also it was a, such a terrible uh, tragedy that the cousin of the girl, that's her nephew, came from Israel. And he was returning to her home in Baltimore. They live in Baltimore now was turning to the home about 12 o'clock at night, trying to go into the Raiders home. He parked his car and um, apparently he was approached by some 
some burglars and uh, they actually shot and killed him. It was a terrible, terrible tragedy. So I was thinking that, you know, we're unfortunately experiencing, so I would say to make a 46th mezuzah, mm-hmm. we talk about 45, but I would say a 46th mezuzah, Ephraim Gordon is his name of this fellow. He was 31 years old. I was a young man. He started to become from getting involved in Yiddishkeit. And it was uh, a terrible tragedy that this happened. So I just figured that this would be uh, another uh, person to include in this special mitzvah, the special mitzvah that we're trying to do over here. Okay, so that's the... uh, Now let's get to the uh, verse uh, of this week's Parsha. And the first section we're going to discuss is actually discussing the very opening sentence of this week's Parsha. And the question is, where did Hashem speak to Moshe? Where was Hashem? And where was Moshe when Hashem spoke to Moshe? Where were they? So let's look in the very first opening sentence and the first Pasuk in this week's portion. It says, by Daber Hashem El Moshe Bahar Sinai Lemor. Hashem speaks to Moshe. Now, where did Hashem speak to him? It says, Bahar Sinai. At Mount Bahar Sinai, people assume it means on the Mount Sinai. We all know that Moshe Rabbeinu went onto Mount Sinai and where Hashem taught him the Torah and gave him the luchot, he gave him the tablets. Now, the first time he came down with the tablets, this was right by Shavuot. First of all, the Jews were surrounded around the mountain, Mount Sinai. They came on the first day of first day of the month of Sivan. They came to Mount to the Mount Sinai, to the Midbar Sinai, and they encamped in front of the mountain. And then Hashem came down on the mountain with the whole clouds and the lightning and the thunders. And the people hear the voice of Hashem. Moshe went up to the mountain. And Moshe spent 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. And he got the Torah. That was Bahar Sinai. So when we read, when we read that Hashem speaks to Moshe, Behar Sinai means on Mount Sinai, we assume we're talking about those 40 days. After the 40 days, he went down, the Jewish people made the golden calf. He went up another 40 days to ask for forgiveness. And then eventually Hashem says to come up and he will. Make, bring the tablets, and he will give them, engrave it again with the engraving of all the Ten Commandments. And finally, he comes down on Yom Kippur. So Moshe Rabbeinu basically spent on the mountain, he spent 120 days, 40, 40, and 40. That was the time that Moshe Rabbeinu was told by Hashem, taught many of the laws of the Torah, at that time when it was on the mountain. So when we read in the verse over here, God speaks to Moshe 
on Mount Sinai. It almost seems like we're talking about the time that Moshe was on Mount Sinai, which was the time when Hashem said the 40 days, the 40, 40, and 40. However, we have a problem. We are right now studying the book of Vayikra. The book of Vayikra follows the book of Shemos. In the book of Shemos, in the portion of Yisro, over there we learn about the Ten Commandments, about the story of Moshe going up to the mountain. Matter of fact, it says in the Pasuk that once Moshe Rabbeinu came down from the mountain and he pitched the tent and then they built the old Moed. Rashi, I quote over here from the Rashi. Rashi says over there that once the Mishkan was raised, Hashem only spoke to Moshe from the tent of meeting, which means Moshe was no longer going up on the mountain. Moshe was no longer listening to Hashem from other places. The only place Moshe Rabbeinu heard Hashem communicated to Moshe Rabbeinu was from the tent of meeting. Once they built the Mishkan, and the Mishkan was raised. So from that point on, the only place where Hashem spoke to Moshe was from the Tent of Meeting. Now, in the beginning of the book of Ayikra, it starts off, in the beginning, the very first beginning, it starts off with Hashem calls to Moshe and he speaks to him from the Tent of Meeting, it says over there. Now, we went through all of these portions of Ayikra Tzav Shmini, all the portions we go through. And we finally come to the portions of Bechukhoisai, and Bahar and Bechukhoisai we come. Question that we have at this point, Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't hearing from Hashem on Mount Sinai. Moshe Rabbeinu was hearing from Hashem from the tent of meeting. How come the Torah writes that Moshe, Hashem speaks to Moshe at Mount Sinai? It's a seemingly a very, a very difficult problem to really understand. That why would the Pasik saying Bahar Sinai when Moshe Rabbeinu has been down from the mountain for a long time already? So why does the Torah say Bahar Sinai? That's a, uh, a problem we have as soon as we start reading the, the Pasik. Now, There's three possible answers. 
which are all a little bit hard to accept. Three possible answers that are the commentaries give. There is a rule that we say, Ein mugdam Basically, that means there is no chronological order in Torah. And therefore, this portion belongs earlier and it is out of place here. In other words, the portion of Bahar that we're reading now actually belongs back in the parshas after the parshas Yisrael and the parsha of Mishpatim. Well, why is it? What is it doing over here, in the end of the book of towards the end of the book of Ayikra? Well, a mukdam There is no chronological order in the Torah, so therefore, it just was stuck in there. But that's not really a very comfortable answer. This is not really a comfortable answer to say that is just arbitrarily, there's no order, and we took a portion. So all of a sudden, Hashem is speaking to Mahar Sinai, and we were already gone way, way, way later, and all of a sudden, we just stuck it in over there. Well, when we have no choice, this is only used when we have no other choice. Sometimes we're stuck. And when we don't have any other choice, then we'll actually say this, that but it's not a comfortable answer. But we can try another answer. Actually, Hashem told it to Moshe at Mount Sinai. Yeah. So why is it written over here? What is it? But that's where Hashem told it to him. But for some reason, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't tell it to the Jewish people what Hashem told him over here by Daber Hashem. So, in other words, the order wasn't just stuck in here. This is the place where Moshe Rabbeinu said there. After the portion of Emmer, you know, we read over there the story. There was a person who got very upset and he cursed Hashem. And the whole story there, after that story happened, now Moshe Rabbeinu tells them what happened much earlier. That by Daber Hashem, when Moshe went, he was on Har Sinai. So basically, it turns out that this is where Moshe Rabbeinu tells them what Hashem has told them. But in the verse, it actually says that by Daber Hashem, that Hashem spoke, it, when you read the verse, it says that Hashem, by Daber Hashem, El Moshe Bar Sinai Lemor. Hashem speaks to Moshe. It doesn't say Moshe is telling them 
that Hashem spoke to Moshe and Har Sinai? That's a, a difficult answer. It's also difficult. Why would Moshe Rabbeinu, if Hashem told this to him, and Har Sinai, why would he wait all this time before telling them? So that's also not such a comfortable answer. So again, so what is the issue that we have? The issue that we have is why does it say over here, Bahar Sinai, when technically that was a long time ago. The Rebbe comes up with a very novel idea. Rebbe comes up with a very novel idea. And the Rebbe says, even though it says over here on Mount Sinai, it doesn't really mean Mount Sinai. It says Behar Sinai. It means next to the Mount Sinai. You know, the Jewish people stayed at the foot of the mountains for almost an entire year. So when the verse says that he spoke to Moshe at Mount Sinai, it doesn't mean that he was on the mountain those 40 days. He means during the period of time that they were camped in the foot of Mount Sinai. And furthermore, the entire desert was called the Sinai Desert. That's mm -hmm. what it's called today as well. Mm -hmm. So, and it's called all on the name of the Har Sinai that was there. So Rebbe says that it's Rashi's choice is to explain, even though this is a very big novelty, but that's the meaning over here. So what the Rebbe learns, it's by Dabar Hashem and Moshe Bahar Sinai while they were at Sinai. And it could actually mean the whole... Uh, the whole time that they were in Sinai, as the Rebbe goes into the, a very detailed discussion, but I'm not going to go through that. That gets a little bit more complicated. There is another discussion. We're talking about the mitzvot. Where were they given? So the question is, were all the details told to, told to Moshe on the mountain? Which means, you know, we find a lot of psukim, a lot of verses Hashem says to Moshe, this, that, and the other thing. A lot of laws, Hashem says to Moshe, tell it to the Jewish people. The question is, were all the details told to Moshe on the mountain? So, why do we find laws written in the Torah? So this is what it says like this. So the Gemara brings down in various different places. The Talmud says that the Rabbi Yishmael says only the general idea of the mitzvahs were given to Moshe on the mountain. The details of the mitzvah were given from the Oel Moed, which means 
Actually, the very first time the Jewish people heard the mitzvahs, many of them, all the mitzvahs that we read in the Torah were not told to Moshe Rabbeinu beforehand. They were only told to Moshe Rabbeinu at that point, at the point when he told it to them. That's the opinion of Rabbi Ishmael. Rabbi Akiva says, he says, all the details were given as well. Which means that on Mount Sinai, they heard the general and they also heard the specifics. You're talking about the Jewish people? To, no, to Moshe Rabbeinu. And then Moshe Rabbeinu repeated them again when we find it in the Chumash. So according to Rabbi Yishmael, he says, only the general of the mitzvot, let's say Hashem told them they have to keep the Shabbat. The specific of the mitzvah was given to them later on. Rabbi Akiva says, no, they were told all the details in the beginning and they were repeated a second time. So, and then there was actually a third repetition, but let's say that's in the Chumash Devarim, when Moshe Rabbein repeated again a third time. And there's a long discussion, but I want to bring out one point over here that the Rebbe brings out in the talk over there. Rebbe talks about the difference between Rabbi Yishmael. Rabbi Yishmael was a Kohen Gadol. He was a high high priest, meaning that he was a great tzaddik. He was a very righteous person. He was a Kohen Gadol. On the other hand, Rabbi Akiva was a convert, not himself, but he comes from a family of converts. He was a Ben Gadim. He comes from a family of converts. Now, the difference between Rabbi Ishmael and Rabbi Akiva is similar to the difference between a tzaddik and a Baal Teshuvah. Kohen Gadol is more like a righteous person. He does the right thing all the time from the beginning. He makes no mistake. He serves Hashem all the time. Never strays from the path, but he goes on the straight way. About Shuba, like Rabbi Akiva, he converted from another religion to Yiddishkeit, to Judaism. So he became like about Shuba. He changed his ways from what he was. You find in Rabbi Akiva, he said, it was a also a terrible tragedy. We're talking about tragedies. Talking about not understanding the ways of Hashem. So Rabbi Akiva, as you know, was one of the Asoda Harugi Malchus. He was one of the 10 greatest sages who were killed by the Roman government. To the extent that the angels, we say this in the Yom Kippur prayer, they cried out to Hashem and they said to Hashem, 
zu Torah Is this Torah? Is this the payment, Rabbi Akiva, who toiled? You know, he had the twenty-four thousand students. He changed his life around. He devoted. He gave everything up from his life for the study of Torah. Is this that he ends such a cruel and brutal death that he deserved? Is that the payment for Torah? And Hashem said, "There is no end." Hashem said. Silence. This is Hashem. We don't understand the ways of Hashem. And as we say in the prayers over there, if you say one more word, Hashem says, it will lead to a destruction of everything. So there are certain places that we can't understand. When Rabbi Akiva was taken out and his students saw the pain, the agony in which the Rebbe, Rabbi Akiva, found himself in. And Rabbi Akiva told them and they asked, they asked Rabbi Akiva, how could you take this? Why is this why is this happening? So Rabbi Akiva said to them, all my life, he says, I was reading the Shema. It says in Shema, you shall love your God, your God, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul. Rabbi, your voice is fading. Uh, to, can you hear me now? Yeah, that's better. Yeah. Thank you. And he says, that means I love Hashem so much that even if it cost me my life, I'm still ready to give it up for Hashem. He says, now that I have the opportunity, that Hashem brings me to the test to show him how much I love him. I am going to drop it. I'm going to forsake my prayer that I daven, that I prayed for all my life. Why did Rabbi Akiva all of his life say, when do I have the opportunity to show Hashem that I'm in love with Hashem, that I'm ready to do everything for him. Why did Rabbi Akiva need that? An ordinary person at Sadiq, who never failed, who never strayed, who's always straight, he says once a day, twice a day, I love God. These two times a day is sufficient to keep him strong, keep him on the path, to keep his dedication of service to Hashem. Keeps him warm, keeps him motivated, keeps him focused, is with him throughout the day. But somebody who is about to shuva, who has tasted the other side, who has gone 
in the other direction needs to constantly be in love with Hashem. So to make sure that he is always there, that he will always come through. Sometimes people get addicted to certain things. If you've gotten addicted, then you need a more continuous level of reminder to be with you all the time, to give you the strength and the power that you need to be able to remember your love to Hashem, your dedication to Hashem. Rabbi Akiva, being in the level of a Baal Teshuva, he was always looking and saying, when do I have the opportunity? He kept on reminding himself of his special connection to Hashem. And that's why for a tzaddik, it's enough at the beginning of the day, the end of the day, about tshuva needs to stand all the days. So this also gives us a little bit of an understanding of the discussion over here. According to Rabbi Yishmoel, the general idea was given on Mount Sinai. We don't need all the details. The fact that we have a general idea, we have a general infusion in the beginning from Mount Sinai, metaphorically speaking, from Rabbi, Shu, Rabbi Shmuel's perspective, if a person gets that morning davening in, he gets that Shema, he gets that general push, that will last him for the day. The details of the day will already come along from that general idea. It's enough for Hashem to give the general mitzvah at Mount Sinai. And then the rest of the mitzvahs, as they come by, they can get done. We don't need that level. You see, the difference between Sinai, Mount Sinai, and the Tent of Meeting is because Sinai represents the level of subjugation, the level of Nasev and Nishma, we will do. That level is only required in the beginning, according to Rabbi Yishmael. Later on, the Ohel Moed represents an orderly, an orderly conduct. The Ohel Moed had the measurement, let's say, the meeting God in the Ohel Moed is not like meeting God at Mount Sinai. God's, meeting God at Mount Sinai is a level of complete subjugation to Hashem, where the meeting Hashem in Ol Moed is an intellectual meeting with Hashem. So according to Rabbi Shmuel, the tzaddik, his perspective, if we meet Hashem in a general way in Mount Sinai, that's sufficient. But the rest of the mitzvahs that we do, Ol Moed is sufficient. Rabbi Akiva, on the other hand, who was a convert, he needed that everything, that the details, everything has to be infused with that Sinai. It has to be infused 
with that subjugation to Hashem, because we don't have that subjugation to Hashem, then we might uh, mistake, make a mistake, and we may uh, get off the right track. So, in our lives, we have a very similar situation all the time. You know, sometimes um, we feel that it's enough. Sometimes we like Rabbi Shmuel, and sometimes we Rabbi Akiva. It really depends on our state of a single day. Sometimes we are open, our hearts are open, our minds are connected, we are focused. We start off, we have the first Modeani that we say, I thank you, Hashem. And then we go in the street to meet people, we go to work, we go their errands, we deal with. But we have that level of the modani is sufficient for us to carry us through to all the details of our lives, that we carry that thankfulness that we have. Sometimes we get up in the morning and we realize, thank you, Hashem. Thank you that I'm here today. You gave me back my soul. Thank you that I am healthy. Thank you that I have a home. Thank you that I have my family. You feel very thankful. You feel very, Hashem, appreciate. You feel today, I'm lucky, I'm fortunate. And that feeling is enough to keep you focused and straight to do what you need to do and keep you on the right path. That's the general the beginning of the day, you have made that connection, and then it lasts you through the details, come throughout the day, you're able to deal with all things that happen throughout your day. That's when we're like a tzaddik. But then there are some days that we don't can't rely just on the beginning of the day. We have to keep on saying another chapter of Tillam. We got to look another inspiration. We got to look for more because we're not in such a good and strong place. And therefore, we are needed. So then we're like the Balshuva. So we have both of these, both of these levels. Sometimes this way, sometimes that way. And it's also it's how our age. You know, when you're young, when you're young, I'm sure each and every one of us, most of the people in the class here are not very young. I think everybody in the class is over 30, right? And mostly are close to 40, at least, okay? So, which means to say, if we go back in our history, what we did in college and what we did in, you know, over there, we have to be like the Balshuva, you know, we were, it wasn't the same. It wasn't like now, you know, that we're stable, whatever, we're gone in age, we've matured, we know we've made mistakes, you know, and a lot of times we don't even want to remember uh, things that we've done in the past. We want to just forget it. We want to pretend that they didn't exist. And actually, about Shuvah, somebody get, 
So there are times in life when we must be like Rabbi Akiva. We must constantly, because when you're young and the fire is there and you're not stable and you're doing and experimenting and trying and you're not sure and you're still searching, etc., etc. Over there, it's not enough to once a day, twice a day connect, but you gotta be on guard all the time and make sure that you stay strong. Sometimes you always gotta make sure, but sometimes when you mature and you're already set and you're giving up a lot of your uh, craziness that <laughs> thinking that you're gonna change the whole world and you know everybody you're gonna... And at that point, it's already, it's easier to say the Morani in the morning and then sort of go along with it throughout the day. But can never let the guard down too much. We always need Hashem's help. We ask for Hashem's love. We ask for Hashem's help, for Hashem's support. The Tanya brings down right away from the, from the Chazal. If not for Hashem helping you, you will not be able to overcome the Yetzir Hara, the inclination. If not for God's help, if not for God helping us out, we could not on our own overcome and beat the Yetzir Hara. So, That's, that's the challenge. Even when we're adults, even when we're mature, even when we're thinking, but we need always the help of Hashem. And that's what we pray for. We ask Hashem, please help us, help us in our struggles, help us in our challenges, and see to it that we are able to succeed in being good people, good Jews, and stay connected to Hashem. All right, let's do a little bit some of the next uh, sicha. So let's see here. Um, let's see. So let's do another connection uh, here. Rabbi, were, were we supposed to do Behar, B-E-H-A-R? B-E-H-A-R, Behar. Yeah, yeah. Did, is that what we're supposed to do? We just did that. It's a double it parsha. Huh? It's a double parsha. You want to explain to her? Yeah, Ma, we do Behar and be, we do Bahu Kosai. Both, both of them? Yes. Oh, I see. I did the one Behar. I didn't do the second one yet. Oh, this... I'll, I'll get to it. Okay. okay. Excellent. Okay. So well, I'm trying to get to the second. Uh, okay. This one. Let's see. All right. This one. No. Why am I having such a hard time here? Uh, let's see. Oh, this is. Okay. Why is it all coming back to Bahar? I don't know. I don't know. Let's see. 
Oh, let's see. Not sure why I'm having a hard time. Well, if you read it, maybe you could just share it with us without putting it on. Hold on. Uh, okay. Let's see over here. Uh, um, Let's see. I'll get it. Give me another minute. Okay. Uh, let's see. Unknown album. Oh, excuse me. Let's see. Let's see. Um, Sorry about this. I think we're, now we got it. Okay, here we go. Sorry about that um, delay. And um, got a we got ten more minutes to spend together today. And this is right in the beginning of the second uh, parsha we're reading today, which is the portion of Bechukosai. Here the verse says, the verse begins, Im If you follow or you walk in my statues, and you keep my mitzvahs, and you do them. If you go in my statues, what does it mean here, if you do my statues, usually, what is a statue? A statue is a command, a law, a rule, right? That is matter of fact, we know that the Torah has different names for different rules. Some are called chukim. Those are statues. Those are Laws that have no rational explanation. Sometimes we have laws that are called mishpatim. Those are rational uh, laws. Things that we can understand and we would come up on our own. And then we have 
Eidot, those are testimonials, like Shabbat, testifying that God created the world in six days, rested on the seventh day. Passover, testifying the fact that God took us, excuse me, out of Egypt. But here, we're translating means something different. Even though we would be tempted to say means go in my statues. But then we read in the next sentence, and then it says, Ve'et mitzvotai tishmeru. What is mitzvot? You keep my mitzvot. If the Torah already tells you to keep the mitzvot, why is it telling you to go in his statues? That's basically repeating the same thing. So therefore, we are going to translate Bechukotai Telechu does not mean you will go in my statues, you'll do the mitzvot, but it means that you are going to work hard in the study of Torah. You know, there is a study of Torah that you learn quickly. And then there is a story of Torah that you do intensely, that you engage your brain and you work hard to try to figure out, to learn and to understand. Rashi says that v'chukotai te'lechu over here means the study of Torah, but not just the study of Torah, but to toil, to work hard in Torah. What the Torah is telling us, you should work hard in the study of Torah. How do we know that you have to work hard in the study of Torah? Maybe it just means that you should study Torah. But Studying of Torah is actually a mitzvah in of itself. When it says, the Torah tells us to study Torah. It's a mitzvah to study Torah. So when it says, Ves mitzvotai tishmaru, that already includes the study of Torah as well as a mitzvah. So what is added in bichukotai teilechu? The Torah is telling us that we have to, we have to work hard in Torah. We all know that when we read something real quick, most of the time we will forget real quick as well. But when we slow down and we read it carefully, then we'll retain the information. We also know that when you work hard, not only you slow down, but when you work hard, you put an effort, you work at it, then the information that you obtained is going to stick with you and it's going to connect with you in a much deeper and stronger and a permanent way. The Torah tells us over here that we must study Torah with Effort. We must put in energy 
uh, we must work hard on the study of Torah. And not only that, even that working hard of studying Torah will also bring us to observe and to fulfill the mitzvahs. Too many times we learn about something and when we learn about it, it doesn't really connect with us. We just take it intellectually. It's a good idea, interesting, makes sense, it's enjoyable. But here we're talking about that you have to work hard in order to fulfill the mitzvahs. That working hard in Torah is going to help you. And you have to do it for the purpose, not only to learn Torah for the purpose of mitzvahs, of observing mitzvahs, but even the toil in the Torah. Now, this is what I just said here. The first interpretation of Bechukose is about mitzvahs. But since it says later on you shall keep mitzvahs separately, we know that it means toil in Torah. Why can't it be regular study, we said? Because regular study is also a mitzvah. So it's already included when you do the mitzvah. This is something more, a qualitative more. It's a toil in Torah. So we add toil in Torah. But here, the Torah tells us the word also means engraved. Now, the difference is when you engrave something, it takes more work than just writing and marking something down. Engraving, the Torah uses the language in which the Torah is also hinting to, to this concept to engrave the words of the Torah in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, that the words of Torah should become part of you. If they become part of you, the Chukhoisai, you know, when there's, you write ink on paper, on parchment, that say for Torah, you can, the, the letters can fade. They can come up altogether. You can scratch them down. But when you engrave the words inside the tablet, you engrave them. You know, it can collect dust, can be covered. You may not be able to read the letters, but the engravement is still there. It becomes engraving and the and the and the uh, tablet become one. The letters become part of the tablet versus writing on top of the paper, which they remain two separate things that you pasted together. And this is what it means in to take the words of the Torah, engrave them in your heart, to take the love of Hashem, to take the love of another person. Make your heart part of that, not something add, add on, not like the ink, not to just take the words of Hashem, the words of the Torah, engrave them, in the words of the prophet, to engrave it on the tablet of their heart. Shem should help us all that we should 
be able to connect in an engraved way with Hashem, with the Torah, with the mitzvahs, with our love of our fellow people. And Hashem should protect us that the troubles that we've known this past few days should never repeat themselves, that Hashem should say enough. And from here on, we should only hear for ourselves, for our families, only good news, only happy news, only good occasions. Hashem will send us Mashiach, resolve all of our problems, all of our issues. And we hope that this is going to happen very soon in our days. Amen. Thank you all for coming. And for Amen. Thank, Thank you, Hugh. Thank you so much. Beautiful.